You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Come with me in your Bibles to uh, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're in a series at the moment, and I, I just want to um, make sure that I, that I honor the time because I know that God wants to, to do some stuff uh, tonight. It, it's, it's, it's always a good thing to go to church it's always a good thing to be in worship. It's amazing how many chains break off your life in worship. I was in Salt Lake City last week, and, and I can't remember. No, I think it was, I was in Salt Lake, but the, this, I, the word of the Lord came to me, Pastor Michael, but, it, but I released the word at, at, the, at the service, at the, the Wednesday night service, but the word came to me before that. What's very interesting is... Um, I was looking forward to uh, Emerge. I know that Emerge is coming up, Emerge Men's Conference. And there was a moment about probably 12 or 13 years ago where I had um, a gentleman who he he kept wanting to, well, he kept telling me he was going to write a big check. He wanted to write a big check to help us. He kept saying that. But I noticed he was just like this in the worship. And so I thought, ah, and, and I, just felt, I just felt the Holy Spirit just say, and, and sometimes the Holy Spirit actually won't give you a whole lot of guidance intentionally. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you discover what's in your heart. Yeah. And I just felt this check like, ah, he wants to write a big check. We need, whenever you're starting a church, you need money. But I said, ah, there's just something broken. He's just like this all the way through worship. So he wanted to take me out and he wanted, you know, he wanted to know if he wrote a check with the church to do A, B and C. And I said, actually, no, no, we won't. Yeah. And, uh, but I said, oh, let me just, just ask you a question. I said, how come you don't, you never worship? And he said, well, you know, my wife's the emotional one. <laughs> I said, oh, I beg your pardon? He goes, you know, my wife, she's the emotional one. I said, oh. I don't need you to be emotional, but you do need to be spiritual. I said, you're spiritually dead. And so that kind of had just kind of been, and it was like, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit will reach right back into an old file and bring it to the front. And so I just want to encourage you, and even for our men at men's conference, you, you are a, a triune being. God is a trinity. He made you in his image and likeness. So you are body, soul, and spirit. You know, we live in a body. You, are, you have a soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions, your personality is wrapped up in your soul. But your spirit is the, the divine spark that touches God. I, I want to hold it closer, but I kept feeling like if I held it closer, it would ring. All right. So you guys can maybe bring it down just a little bit. I didn't want to come across. That's why I was dropping it. Uh, I didn't want you to feel like, man, he just yelled at us the whole time. I feel like I got yelled at. In church. <laughs> You're so awesome. So body, soul, spirit. Now watch this. When, whenever, whenever you sing, whenever you worship, and, and we're surrounded by music, the enemy, the enemy knows how powerful worship is. So he makes sure that he fills the top 40 with, you know, with reggae, with rock, with rap, you know, with everything he can so that you'll sing songs that don't, that don't, uh, that don't entwine your spirit with God. What's very interesting, and I've got to move on, but let me just kind of throw this for out at you. It says in 1 Samuel 17, which is the chapter where David takes out Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, it says, Again, there was war with the Philistines in the, the land of Judah at a place called Soka or Soko, which belongs to Azekah. And what's very interesting is that Judah means praise. Soka means to weave or entwine. And Azekah means strength or fortress. And it's very interesting that it was there where the Philistines gathered. And so I just want you to know that, that when, whenever you sing, whenever you worship, your spirit, the Bible says a man's spirit will sustain him on his sickbed. Your spirit gets energized by heaven. To, to have strength in the earth, you need heaven. Wherever Jesus went, heaven went with him. 
I like tombstone. You tell him I'm coming and hell's coming with me. Jesus said, you tell him I'm coming and heaven's coming with me. The earth needs more heaven. So when you worship, when you worship, and that's why when you least feel like worshiping, when, you, when, when the devil has thrown everything and then the kitchen sink at your head on the way to church, come to church and begin to lift your hands and just refuse to let the devil put out your light. Refuse to let him shut off your power. Say, devil, I'm going to go and get my power on. I'm going to the house of God. I'm going to worship. I'm going to get the light on. I'm going to get the fire on. I'm going to get the power back on. And then I'm coming to give you a whooping. If you're still there when I get home, I'm opening a can, devil. Sometimes you just got to open a can on the devil. What do you think? Josh, stand up, Josh. I saw you today at the intern thing, and I wanted to prophesy, but I had a meet, I had a message, and I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know how to land this, and I had a video, and so, but I, so, I saw you on the stage tonight. So God gave me a do-over. Just lift your hands. The power of God is is on you. And I felt this morning, Josh, it's a true story. I felt this morning. God said, "Tell that young man that that he's coming out, and what the enemy surrounded you with to try to." And I literally saw, saw the word suffocate. It was, it, it was like it was hard to breathe in what the enemy wrapped around you. And it's like you couldn't break out, you couldn't get out. But the Lord would say that what the enemy set up against you to try and suffocate you, to try and snuff out your life, God has turned into a cocoon. And if you know anything about a cocoon, a caterpillar goes into a cocoon, but a magnificent butterfly comes out. Caterpillars don't fly. They, they, they crawl along the ground or they crawl along branches. And, but butterflies, they can fly. They spread their wings and they're spectacular. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say that because, because you've reached out towards God and moved towards God, I saw God bringing a breakthrough and turning your captivity into cap, turning your captivity captive and using what the enemy meant to to. to uh, suffocate you as a promotion, as a resurrection, as a new life. And the way you went in is not how you're coming out. You may have gone in like this, but you're you may have gone in, but you're coming out victor. You're coming out conqueror. You're coming out spreading your wings. You're coming out ready to fly. God bless you, Josh. So pray. come on, give Josh a great round. What a great young man. <laughs> Amen. All right. Come with me real quick in, in, in your Bibles. I've only got a few minutes and I do have three points. I got through seven this morning, so I'm feeling very confident. I got through four the other day, so I'm, I'm on a roll. That's like two out of two. Well, it's actually like two out of a hundred, but, you know, if we just count the last two, I got through it. All right. Uh, Mark, Mark chapter five. Mark chapter five. I'm reading from the same translation Jesus used, the New King James. <laughs> All right, here we go. It says, then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadareans. Now, just let me pause there. I don't have time to read the last part of chapter four. So this is the beginning of chapter five. The last part of chapter four, Jesus said to the disciples, let us cross over to the other side. If you know anything about that story, um, the weather report was don't do it. The weather report was bring your, your boats in, put lock them away in shed because a giant storm is about to hit the Sea of Galilee. Jesus launches out recklessly, carelessly, or adventurously, however you want to look at it. He launches out with the 12 in a boat through a storm. The Bible says they're about halfway across when the storm hits and it is such a fury that there are waves that are breaking and spilling into the boat so that the boat is taking on more water than they can dispel. And they're beginning to sink. And the whole time Jesus is asleep in the stern on a pillow. And so they're like, how can he? So they wake him and say, do you not care that we're perishing? And Jesus, peace be still. Immediately the wind and the waves obey him. Peter has a liquid running down his leg. <laughs> He's never seen anything like, maybe not, maybe not. And the Bible says, and the disciples were terrified, were terrified. And they said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
So now they land on the other side and it's the region of the Gadarenes and it says in verse 2, And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and nobody could bind him. What kind of spirit was it? Very good. Just remember that. Unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and nobody could bind him not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Verse 9. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he said, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now, a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains, unclean. Swine was feeding near the mountains. So the demons begged him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled and they told it in the city and in the country and they went out to see what it was that had happened. And then they came to Jesus and they saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to please buy a house in this region. Excuse me. Then they began to plead with him, please don't ever leave here. We... Then they began to plead with him to depart. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might go with him. However, Jesus did not permit him and said to him, Go home to your friends and your family and tell them the great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. The title of my message tonight is Your Family, Your Future. Your Family, Your Future. I know that the future is family. That's the series that we're in. But I want to just kind of reverse that a little bit and just say to you that your family has probably the most most profound and the most powerful and it has the, the primo, it has the first impact on determining your destiny and determining the direction and the trajectory and elevation of your life. This man who has a legion of demons gets completely set free and he says to Jesus, Jesus, please let me, now that I'm saved, now that I'm delivered, now that I've got a testimony, let me go with you. Put me in the ministry. Put me in, coach. I can tell people about who I want. He wants to go with Jesus and Jesus is brilliant. Jesus says, no, no, no. I want you to go home to your family and your friends. I want you to go to your family and your friends very interesting because you, you, our first ministry is family. First ministry is family. Let me give you three quick thoughts. The first one is spiritual problems don't have natural solutions or can't be fixed by natural solutions. Can't be fixed by natural solutions. The reason I, I read the or just abbreviated the story before is that the same, the same God that had power over the wind and the waves is the same God. Now, Jesus is modeling to the disciples. He's, he's, Jesus is teaching the disciples often by words, but even more by example. 
The difference between Jesus and the Pharisees is what Jesus lived is what he spoke. What he spoke is what he lived. Not the Pharisees, not the religious people. What they spoke was very different to what they lived. Jesus called them hypocrites. He says, you, you, you bind heavy burdens and you put them on widows and you put them on and you won't even lift a finger yourself. To, you're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside you look, but on the inside you're full of distortion and corruption and dead. And so, so Jesus didn't like the Pharisees. But Jesus, there, there was a congruency between how he lived and what he said. Jesus is modeling that the, the son of God, that he is the son of God that he has authority over the wind and the waves. But it's not just the wind and the waves. When the boat hits the other side, immediately a man comes out of the tombs. The reason the man is in the tombs is because the only person who can set the man free is a, is a priest. And the priests would not go into the tombs because if a priest went into a graveyard or a tomb or a cemetery or around dead people, they were immediately defiled and they basically lost their anointing. So the demon thought, I've got this guy and I'm going to keep tormenting and tormenting him until he takes his life. That's what the demons were trying to do. So Jesus is on a rescue mission. And I just want you to know tonight that, that when Jesus finishes here, after he drives out the demons, the next verse is that Jesus gets back in the boat. Now the disciples have just got the last lot of the luggage out of the boat, and then Jesus walks around and gets in and says, all right, let's go to the other. <laughs> so I want you to know that the Jesus that's in the Bible is one who will travel land and sea to get to one person. He, he, he's, he's a God who will go through hell or high water. He's a God who will go through storms. He's a God that will face jeopardy to get to you. You are so valuable to him. He didn't wait for the, the, he didn't say, bring the man to me. Jesus went to him. I didn't get saved in church. I got saved on a beach. I would love to tell you I found Jesus, but the truth is he found me. Long before I began looking for him, he was looking for me. Long before you reached out to him, he was reaching out to you. He was sending people. He was putting people in your path, in your way. Long before you began to call out to him, he was already putting people in your path. In fact, if you look at the moment you got saved, you begin to connect the dots where, wow, years earlier, a month, there was God there and God there. And then I ran into there. Bam, long before. So, so the first point is that Jesus doesn't just calm the wind and the waves, but, but he has authority over the demonic. He has authority over the spiritual realm. You can't medicate a demon. You can't use natural remedies. The world, the world, the world will try to tell you that, hey, maybe we can medicate the symptoms. Maybe we can, we can just make you so docile that you just coexist with, with this condition. But Jesus doesn't ask you to coexist. The world does that. The world wants to create drugs to get you to coexist with demons that are tormenting you, people cutting themselves because the world has no authority. Let me just double down on that. It's interesting that the, the same people say, if you would just give us more power, if you just give us more authority, then we can control the wind and the waves. We, we want to fight climate change. And I want you to notice they're not calling it global warming anymore. <laughs> Ten years of record cold temperatures. In fact, if you, if, if, what they've done is they've, they've taken out 1934 which was the hottest year on record before the Industrial Revolution, 1934. They've taken that out because that's the only way they can even get like a slight kind of, oh, the earth might be warming by 0 0.01 of a degree. But if you put 1934 in, it's like this. It's on a cooling cycle. But these, they be, be very, very wearful of governments that, that, that can't fix the homeless situation. They can't control borders. They can't con control. They can't stop inner city crime. In fact... Where a lot of these nitwits are, the crime is worse, the murder rates are worse, the drug trafficking's worse, the aggravated assaults worse, breaking and entering's worse, you know, everything's out. But, but they want you and I to believe, hey, don't look at that, don't look at that, don't look behind the curtain. Don't look behind the curtain. 
Just give us more authority and more power and we'll, we'll, we'll create a carbon tax. Because how many people know the wind and the waves? <gasps> carbon tax. And <laughs> there's only one person, there's only one person in history who can bring climate change and it's Jesus Christ. And I want you to know he did it. He did it for the welfare of his disciples. You don't need to look to the government, but the same government that, can't, that wants to pretend it can control the wind and the waves, which it can't, is the same government that wants you to believe that it can deal with mental issues and spiritual issues and health issues. And, and so, so when, when, they, when, they, when they told us in 2020 that the church is non-essential, When we begin to hear stories of people because of the isolation and the devastation and the lockdowns and and, and not being able to, to know where their next meal is going to come from and, and the, the rent check, the, the rent kept having to be paid, but they had no income. There was no one coming to their stores. There was no one coming to their gyms. There was no one coming to their restaurants. There was no one coming and, and, and it was devastating and the bills kept coming in. And, and if, you want to, if you want to demoralize a man, take away his work. There, 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 there is nothing more devastating to a man than, than you, you fire him from a job. When a man loses his employee, did you know when God created Adam, the first thing he did was gave him a job? There's something about man and his work. When, you, when two men meet, they say, what's your name? My name's Peter. Hi, Peter. My name's Jürgen. Oh, hey, nice to meet you, Jürgen. What do you do? This is the first question because a man wants to know. A woman will say, man, I like you. Where'd you get your shoes? I like the highlights in your hair. The catch your eyes. I have been blind. Lady. No. So, so men, but men want to know, what, what do you do? What, what's, what's your... And so we began to see that the, the, the men were struggling with depression. And, and, you know, before that, we had about 30-something people in our recovery. And then it almost exploded over 300 people. We had people that were contemplating suicide and one guy put a gun in his mouth and pulled the trigger and the bullet got jammed and he dislodged that bullet, put it to the side of his head, pulled the trigger a second time, got jammed a second time. The phone rings, it's his dad. And his dad says, son, I went to this church on Sunday. I know it's Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon, but I'm picking you up. I'm taking you to church. You're coming to church, picks him up. He thought, well, I'll try again after church. This might be good, I'll go. I'll make my peace with God. Well, he, he, he's the first hand to go up. This is in San Marcos. First hand to go up, comes out, gives his life to Christ and then tells his girlfriend who had moved out because he'd gotten drunk because he wasn't handling the, the lockdowns and the shutdowns. What had happened, she didn't believe him. He just So finally on Sunday morning, he says, I'm picking you up. I'm bringing you to this church. I've never experienced anything like it. She raises her hand, comes down. They get married. They're now serving on a team up there. But it was this close. So then, so then, so then he, a week later, he gets the, the gun. He says, yeah, you know, twice the bullet got jammed. There must be something wrong with the gun. He goes, chick, chick. And he points it at, at, at a potted plant and pulls the trigger. Then he realized it was, you know, angels. It was God blocking, blocking, blocking because God had a destiny. We began to hear these stories and I thought, hang on a minute. We can't, we can't let the government that can't flip and control our borders, that can't stop fentanyl. Do you know fentanyl is the biggest killer in the United States of America? It's not COVID. It's fentanyl is the biggest killer in the United States of America. And we've got people that will not, do not control our borders and it's flooding across our borders and it's killing young people every single day. And, and these are the people that want to tell us what is and what isn't essential. I'm sorry, you don't get to vote. You don't get to have, have a voice in this thing. The church is essential. Can somebody say amen? The Bible says they tried to bind him with shackles and chains, but they could not. They tried to bind him. They didn't try to free him. Did, did you notice that during the lockdowns, you could, go, you could go to a casino and lose your money? You could go to a liquor store and, and kind of inebriate and, and numb the pain. You could go to a marijuana dispensary. You could go to a strip club. You, you could go to things that would only bring greater bondage. It's only Jesus that brings freedom. It's only Jesus that sets free. So point number two is 
people who love their pigs more than Jesus are the problem. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says that they came to Jesus and they begged him, they pleaded with him to depart their region. Like Jesus was the first one to get deplatformed. Long before I was banned on Twitter, long before I was banned on Instagram, Jesus was deplatformed from gatherings. They begged him to, de- I'm thinking, what the, he just, the guy that you all heard groaning and howling at the moon and cutting himself with stones. He, he was clothed, seated in his right mind. It was a miracle. And you looked at the miracle and you looked at the miracle maker. You looked at the, and then you begged Jesus to leave. But how could they do that? And the Holy Spirit said, because they love their pigs more than they love Jesus. See, for Jews to look after pigs, a pig is an unclean animal. And the Jews were not meant to. But these guys profited from looking after pigs. It's interesting that the man lived and he had an unclean spirit. It was a region that had given itself over to uncleanness. These people, these people cared more about personal profity, profit, personal profit than they cared about individual freedom. I'm trying to give you a lens to look at anybody that's political that wants your vote. Any, watch the parties. And I'm not trying to say, hey, this is just the Democrat Party because there's a whole bunch of rhinos in the GOP as well. But when you see people, they care more about their personal profit than they care about individual freedom. When they looked, when they looked and saw that this man who was tormented, you, you, see, you see what those demons wanted to do because when they entered the swine, swine is unlike a human being. A human being, God gave a man a spirit. God gave you and I a spirit that has will, that has strength. Like you hear about that man and they broke that man's spirit or, or you know, you know, you'll see a marathon runner and like beautiful Leanne, and, and she, she might be five miles from, and she's got pain in her legs and pain in her feet. But, but what is it that, that, that keeps her going? It's, it's her spirit. It's her spirit. It's her will. As soon as the demons entered the swine, the swine ran violently down the hill and plunged into the sea and drowned. Now, here's, the, here's a, by, a, a true fact. Pigs can swim. Pigs can swim. But they had no resistance to the demonic supernatural forces that wanted... It, Jesus was showing this is what was, those things were trying to do to him. And when they looked, they said, yeah, it's not worth it. We're not willing to change our habits. We're not willing to shut down the the liquor stores. We're not willing to shut down the the strip clubs. We're not willing to to, uh, go back on our legalized prostitution. We're not, no, no, we we want you to leave Jesus. You, You leave. We don't care that he got set free. Point number three is your first ministry is your family. The man, after he gets set free, says, Jesus, I want to go with you. Jesus says, no, you can't. I want you to go back to your family. I just cast demons out of you, but I need you to go back to your family. And the Bible says, and tell them how merciful God has been to you. It's very interesting because I would have gone back and told them how powerful God has been. But Jesus says, no, no, go back and tell them how merciful God has been. It's God's mercy that releases His power. It's God's mercy that releases His power. So many years ago, uh, God said to me, Leanne and I, my Leanne, were having a fight. I know Brian never, but I was having an argument with my Leanne. And uh, I was convinced I was right, Michael. Convinced I was right. And, uh, and I may well have been, but... God wasn't interested in my right and wrong. He just said, um, Jürgen, your wife is a product of your husbandry. Dear goodness, I didn't want to hear that. 
I'm like, what? She's this, 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 and this, and then, and I can't remember the last time she read her Bible. And I'm you know, going through all this kind of stuff. And he's like, oh, she's a product of your husbandry. I'm like, oh, fudge, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> and then he said to me, Jürgen, I'm watching you. I'm watching to see how you treat your bride to determine, he says, I'm measuring you. And one of the measuring rods I have is the way you treat your bride, because it'll determine how much of my bride, the church. And I'm like, oh, wow. And then I had to rethink my life. The word rethink my life is the word repent. Repent comes from a Greek word, metanoia. Meta means to change, noia, your thinking. I had to change the way that I thought. And I began to look at Leanne different. And I began to realize that my first ministry is to my bride. Then I realized it wasn't just to my bride, Pastor Lisa. It was also to my kids. My oldest son, Jordan, uh, when he was just a, just a little, little tacker, he used, to, he used to love more melon. What do you mean you don't know? Well, it's watermelon. But he, he couldn't say watermelon. He'd go, more melon, more melon. And, and I used to have to get out the little black yuckies, you know, the little seeds. He'd just call them yuckies and I had to get them out. And then this one day I bought a watermelon and, you know, mum cut it in half. It was, you know, it was a big one and cut it in half. And, you know, I pulled out a little black seed. And I said, Jordy, Jordy. And he was maybe, maybe 20 months old, maybe two. And I said, this watermelon came out of this seed. He's like, ha, 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 ha. Because I was always joking. I'm like, no, no, no. I said, this big watermelon came out of this little seed. He's like laughing. I said, no, no, Jordy, Jordy. This big watermelon came out of this seed. Jesus. He's like, Jesus? I said, yeah. And so I was trying to explain to him that this is how brilliant our God is. You put this little seed in the soil and God makes it grow. And a seed produces. He's like, Jesus. We were, we were so poor. We were, I think we, our, our earning was, a, uh, our, our salary was about 11,000 US dollars a year as youth pastors. The church never had money. They were always in debt. It was a real low socioeconomic area. And, uh, but I remember the circus came to town and we would drive by and we'd see the tents. And this one day we go past and they, they're bringing these big cages on the back of trucks and they had like these elephants and tigers and and my little Geordie was just you know like this and I said to Leanne I'm gonna go, I'm gonna find out how much a ticket is and they had tickets starting from about you know twelve dollars and but then they had ringside tickets that were thirty eight dollars now Leanne and I once we paid all of our um, expenses because we back then we got paid weekly once we got rid of paid all of our expenses we had twenty seven dollars left and so it was $38 for a ringside ticket. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say, just, just buy two ringside tickets, like break this poverty thing. Buy. So I bought two ringside tickets. And I'll never forget, it was at 7.30 at night and it was winter. And, and we put his little jam jams on, his little slippers. And he had this cute little light blue bathrobe. And, and I was just expecting the, you know, to get into the tent, the circus, the trapeze and all that kind of stuff. But as you're walking up, they've got all the, all the carnival games, you know, they've got the, where you shoot the ducks and the ducks go down and they've got the clown and, and you, you know, you put the, the little ping pong balls in, in the clown and it goes down and you win prizes. And, and all I remember is Jordan let go of my hand and he runs and he looks and he sees the clowns and he sees the lights and he sees the games and he sees the, all the giant stuffed toys and he just goes like this and he looks and he goes, Daddy, Daddy, Jesus made it. Jesus made it. And it was just so, so moving. I just remember just realizing how God looks at us is how I look. I, I learned about the Father's heart when I became a father. And then life happens. You have a second kid, a third kid, a fourth kid. And it's very easy to get caught up in ministry. And I remember at about 13, we just kind of lost him a little bit, but I had... I was assistant coach on Ashy's team for, for baseball and Tommy was in, in T-ball and I was assistant coach there and we lost our boy. 
ended up on a, on a journey with an addiction. But I remember I just made the, the decision that my first ministry is not the church. My first ministry is family. My first ministry, you know, he had to go through drug court for a year and I was there every Thursday at drug court. When he was in juvenile detention center, we were allowed to visit him twice a week. We were there both times, even though we had to, to search. And I remember other pastors saying, oh, you're not telling anybody in your church, right? Just keep that because you know how it looks if a pastor's got, like, what the hell are you talking about? Excuse the language. I said, I got people in my church praying for me, praying for my boy. You want me to hide it? You want me to hide my struggle? I'm out of time. Sorry, you're so kind. Just, just let me finish. So, so God speaks to me and He says, Jürgen, a lot of your, your fathering issues are actually son issues that you inherited from your father. He says, I need you to forgive your father. I'm like, I ain't forgiven him. Nope. Number one, he's not asking. If he asked, I'd consider it, but he ain't asking. Number two, God, he don't deserve it. Let me just explain what your word says and then let me line up his life and show you, God, you should be aware of this, but I'll have to present it to you. And God's like, I'm not asking you to forgive him because he's asking. I'm not asking you to forgive him because he's deserving. I forgave you before you asked and I forgave you before you deserved it. I'm like, oh, shoot. Is he always right? He is. So finally, after months of wrestling, I said, all right, God, I'll forgive him. And God says, it's going up another level. You, you, you could have forgave him three months ago when I first asked. So guess what? Now you're not forgiving him. You're going to tell him you love him. I'm like, oh, right. I had never heard those words from my father. And you want me to tell him? And God's like, yep. I'm like, hang on, no, 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 no. Well, he's the dad, I'm the kid. You want me to, t that's his. And God's like, wow, you got some energy behind that. I'm like, you're darn right, I got energy behind that. You're damn right, I got the code red. Did you order the code? I did! <laughs> Sorry, it's from a movie. So to tell him I loved him. So then I thought, right, we're, we're good now, right, God? I forgave him, told him I loved him. We, we're good now. Fast forward a few years, I'm brushing my teeth and some of the lights are broken in, in the bathroom. And as I'm brushing my teeth, I look in the, in the mirror and it's kind of bad lighting, but I see my dad's face looking back in my features. And I do this, I... And the Holy Spirit goes, well, well, well. I thought you'd forgiven your father. I'm like, oh, oh, oh. Honestly, look, I've forgiven him, I've forgiven him. And he's like, I know you've forgiven him, but you've never honoured him. I'm like, all right, this is, where I, this is where I tap out. Tell me one thing he's done that's honourable and I'll be happy to. He's like, I'm not asking you to honour him because of what he's done. I'm asking you to honour him for who he is. And I won't go into it, but it wasn't cheap what he, what he asked me to do. If we can throw the, the picture up, I've got a picture up of my dad. This is my dad. They did a, they did a, um, they did a series of newspaper articles in the city where Leanne and I grew up on migrants that moved from Europe, that moved from around the world to Australia and became a success. And so they did this with, with my dad and that's just a, a snippet, but if you, if you read down, it tells his story. And it tells the story about how he grew up in East Germany under communism and atheism. How his mother died when he was five and how his father remarried, but the, the woman that he remarried already had kids. And because they, they only had a little bit of money, she would take that money and she would cook for her kids and often leave him fending for himself and if her kids broke a window or spilt something she would protect her kids and tell his father that he had done it and he would take the beating from his alcoholic father and so he hated his his stepmother and then eventually at 14 ran away from home at 18 he goes they had 
uh, conscription, he had to go into the, the military. So he was a, became a soldier and then they placed him on the wall between the east and the west. And one night he was talking to his friend. He says, man, I'm just done with living under communism. I wonder what it's like on the other side. I, do you ever wonder what it'd be like to be free? Well, back then you got money if you dobbed in a defector. And so his best friend supposedly went and told the authorities, told the Stasi that he was contemplating. So they arrested him and they put him in a concentration camp for 22 months. The night he got out of the concentration camp, they dropped him off at his apartment. He said he never went in. He just sat on the front step and he waited till 3 a.m. And then at 3 a.m. he ran across the minefield because he was going to get out of East Germany one way or the other. Either he'd step on a mine and be gone or he'd make it across because he knew that the minefield was the least protected. And he got over the wall. And if you look at, at, at Berlin, and then you go all the way down here to where I was born, Tutlingen, you can't get further away from Berlin than Tutlingen. Tutlingen is right by Strasbourg, which is in France, and right by Zurich, which is in, in Basel, which is in Switzerland. It's kind of right down the bottom. Like I'm, I, literally I was born 30 minutes and you're across the, the border in France or 25 minutes and you cross the border in Switzerland. He went as far away as he could. And then because there was a severe winter, um, he moved from there on a one-way ticket with my pregnant mum to Australia. And I didn't see any of this until I honoured my father. As soon as I honoured my father, God said to, to me, when you finish Bible college, you had two options, the Gold Coast in Australia or Manukau. And I said, I don't want you to go to the Gold Coast. I want you to go to Manukau. And you went to Manukau City, New Zealand. You're away from Leanne. They had no job. There was no salary. There was no, you just went in faith. He says, and then after seven years there, I called you back to Sydney. But you went to Sydney to a church that had no job, that had nothing for you, no promise. And you stepped out. And then seven years after that, I said, I want you to go and start a church in San Diego. And you knew nobody. There was no church here waiting. He says, you didn't even realize, but the DNA of courage that was in your father is in you. The DNA, the DNA that will, is willing to run across a minefield is in you. I never saw it. I never saw it. I never saw it because all I saw was his failures. All I saw was the beatings. All I saw was the, the coming home drunk. All I saw was the times he beat mama, beat ma my little brother, beat me. All I saw was his weakness. All I saw was his iniquities, his transgressions. But when I honoured Him, God opened my eyes and I began to see, my God, you were the first pioneer. So I got to speak with my dad. A couple of months ago, I speak with him every week now, but a couple of months ago, and, I, and he started crying. And he, and he told me a story. He said, yeah, yeah, when I ran away, when I was 14, I was, I was on the farm and I was working on the farm. On there was a farmhand. He was, he was 70. His name is Gustl, which is a typical German name. He says, and, and, and every time I used to walk in, he said, here comes the Heiligen Ronald. Here comes the Heiligen Ronald. Heiligen is holy. And he says, I, I used to say, why, why do you call me that? He says, there's something holy about you. He says, I used to just laugh it off and now I look at you and you got that church. And he goes, oh, blank. I'm so blanking proud of you with a church. And then he's telling me, he's telling me how he, he, he lives on the 22nd floor, Annette that lives on the 21st floor. He was telling her that, I, that I'm a, you know, his son's a pastor in, in, uh, in America. And, and he goes, hey, have you ever heard of YouTube? Have you, have you ever heard of YouTube? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah I've kind of heard of it. Yeah, yeah, you're on YouTube. Did you know that you're on YouTube? I said, I kind of have a clue that I'm on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, and that says, ah, she's been listening to you, changed her life. You changed her life. Ah, blank, I'm so proud of you. Come on, let's, let's stand to our feet. Spiritual problems need spiritual solutions. Can I just tell you, quite often physical things have a spiritual root. I remember uh, when I was in Bible college, very first year in Bible college, I had a friend who asked me to go and speak at his youth camp. And 
forgive me tonight. I know I use the H word, H-E, hockey stick, hockey stick. I know, forgive me. And uh, so my, my language was a little bit colorful back then. And so I'm thinking, what do I preach to teenagers? And, and I thought, I just feel like I'm going to preach on heroes. You know, back then, you know, the governor, governor, you know, was like, kill me, kill me now. You know, was, and, and then there was like Sylvester Stallone, you know, Rocky, uh, you know, hey, you know this guy, you know, Adrian, you know, some, so I'm, you know, Jean-Claude, I'm, I'm doing all these impersonations of heroes. And I said, listen, I've got one hero that kicks all their, uh, all their aspects. And, uh, but, but I didn't put pecs on there. And, and all these kids are looking at me like that. And I said to the youth pastor after, I said, what did I say? Because you can't say that word. I'm like, that's a bad word too? Because I just, you know, I eliminated the big ones. I didn't realize there were some little ones you had to eliminate as well. I'm like, shoot. And so anyway, that was, a, you know, so I could smell the kitchen. So I walk into the kitchen and there was this, there was this lady and she was kind of, she'd volunteered in the church and she's, you know, making lunch and she's kind of making this kind of, a, it's like a big chili. It's like this big, in Australia, they call it like a shepherd's pie. It's mince meat and, you know, carrots and beans and potatoes and all that kind of stuff. And she's, she's in there. And I noticed she's got her arm in kind of two walking stick things, like uh, aluminum ones. And anyway, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, just, just go and pray for her. Just, you know, bless her. So, you know, I said, oh, man, that smells really good. And I just put my hand on her back. I said, do you mind if I pray for you? She goes, oh, no, please. So I start praying for her. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to think, I'm in Bible college and so we're learning all this theology and I thought, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray an impressive prayer. Heavenly Father, we beseech Thee this day. You know, I'm, I'm doing this. But nothing was, not, you know, it was just, it was stupid. But anyway, as I'm praying, you know, I said, you know, in Jesus and... Oh, it was a bit weird. And I thought she must have slipped on something and so I said, you know, Jesus... Weird, and so I'm like, Jesus, and, you know, Jesus, Jesus, and every time I said Jesus, and I'm like, something's going on, like, pretty cluey here, something's going on, and then all of a sudden I look, and her eyes have rolled back, and she's starts growling like a dog, and so I realize I better take action because something crazy is going on, and. So I said, in the name of, and she, this thing just screams. She falls to the ground. She starts writhing around on the ground. She's screaming, telling me she's going to F and tear me apart and do all this stuff. And I said, no, you're not. You're coming out in the name. And this authority come. So these demons come out. Demons come out. That was the Friday night of the youth camp. The next day, Saturday morning, she comes walking in. And she comes over to me and hugs me and starts sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. She says, I got healed. She said, I had what the doctors called a degenerative back disease. I was in so much pain that I could only walk with those things after you prayed for me and those things left me. She says, I felt no more pain in my back. She's completely healed to this day, completely set free. So I say that to say that physical things don't have authority over spiritual things. But quite often, spiritual things mess up in the physical. So I want you just to lift your hands high to heaven. I want you to know that Jesus Christ will travel through storm. He'll travel through hell or high water to get to you. David said this, if I was to make my bed in hell, behold, you would come for me. You would come for me even in hell. I, I speak right now to ev any person that is tormented, that is vexed by any demonic force. And I declare, demon, there is no place you can hide. You thought you could hide in the tombs, but you couldn't because we serve a Jesus. We serve a Savior. We serve a God that will go across land and sea, that will sail through a storm, that will go into the tombs, that will go into the regions of darkness, that will go into the regions of defilement to set us free, to set the captives free. I break every chain, every shackle, every fear of torment. I break it now in Jesus' name, anxiety. 
anxiety and depression. I break your grip now. I loose these beautiful people. I declare that Jesus Christ is the Savior. He's the healer. He's the deliverer. He has power over wind and waves, but he has power over demonic forces. And we break every, I break every spirit of lust. I break every spirit of perversion. I break every unclean spirit. I break your grip now in Jesus' name. I break spirits of rejection. I break it now in Jesus' name. I break those who are tormented by what they eat, eating disorder. I break it now. I break the spirit of anxiety now. And I declare freedom in this house. I declare freedom in this house. And Father, right now, I pray for those who in their family, there's been wounding. There's been wounding in families. Keep your eyes closed and your hands lifted. I love my team. We have the most extraordinary team. But you know, the craziest thing is my team, my pastors, all my campus pastors are extraordinary preachers. They're extraordinary leaders. Many of them are marketplace, successful and fruitful. There's not one of them, not one of them that hasn't had to go through deliverance or hasn't had to go through healing and reconciliation because of the breakdown in their families, the breakdown, abuse, neglect between them and a father or them and a mother. And if that's some of our most powerful leaders, I know that that is a word for you today. Let the Holy Spirit, who's your helper, let the Holy Spirit, who's a guide, let Him come to you. And let him begin to whisper to you. For me, it was forgive your father. He might be saying that to you. Then he said, I want you to tell him that you love him. It was the hardest thing. For some, it might be you need to honor them. For some of you, it might be you need to write a letter. For some of you, you might need to write a letter of all the things that they've done. All the things, all the times where they hurt you and disappointed you. And then when you finish, don't send it. Throw it into a fire. And before you throw it in the fire, say, Father, I release them like you've released me. You'll find a weight will roll off you. But I'm telling you, the reason the title of this message is your, your family, your future, is because quite often the things of our past, if we don't deal with them, they rob from our future. Don't let your future be robbed by things from your past. I'm going to hand back to Pastor Mike. I know the ministry team's going to come out. The band's going to sing one last song. If you need prayer for anything, these are powerful prayer warriors. They will pray with you. They'll agree with you. I know we've got cake waiting. But get, get it right with God. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Can we thank Pastor Jürgen? What a powerful word. So good. I'm going to invite the ministry team to come on down to the front. And if you need healing, need deliverance, any of those things. And also, I want to invite you to come on down. If, if you know that you're far from God, I want to invite you to come down and that, just let them know that, that you're far from God and you'd like to reconnect with your Heavenly Father. And maybe, maybe you've never been introduced to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Then just let them know, and they're going to say a quick prayer with you. Just invite you to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to come into a heavenly family that is your forever future, your forever home. So can we do that now? Can we bring the ministry team down to the front? And anybody who'd like prayer for any of those things, please come down. I'm going to invite the team to bring a song. Invite you. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenchurch.com.